This is the Edisto TV podcast, connecting the Blackwater region. Welcome to the 23rd edition of the Edisto TV podcast. I'm Hugo. And I'm Tom. And we are here on Thanksgiving Day. This one is going to hit the, uh, the airwaves or the internet waves or whichever waves it's going to hit, Tom. And uh, I understand that we actually heard something from a listener. Yes, we did. Benji from Columbia. He said, uh, it's been 11 days since the last podcast. I need a new one. I'm addicted to Edisto TV. All right. Well, we have to acknowledge that that actually came a couple of days ago, so it's been more like 12 or 13 days. Yeah. Sorry about that. It's it's been a busy couple of weeks. But do you think he's really addicted? I think he probably is if he took the trouble to get in touch with us. Speaking of that, um, if any of y'all out there who listen or follow or whatever you do with the podcast, if you'd like to get in touch with us, give us any feedback or suggest something you'd like to hear covered on a future edition of the podcast, we would love to hear from you. Yes. Facebook or go to Esto TV and uh, hit the contact button. Any of those places. Or else you can uh, just walk up to us anytime you see us around and tell us what's on your mind, and we'll do our best to remember. Uh, what's new online this week, Tom? Um, there was a few things on the Edisto Concerns uh, Facebook page that got some traction. Um, the, the the article from the Hilton Head Island packet um, on the Ace Basin was was really good. It just talked, gave a kind of a history of how you know different groups work together to make the Ace Basin come come to be and um so anyway it was, it was a good article good reminder of what a, a gem we have right down the road here all right and um i will point out also that we look to the ace basin success as a path that we can follow to help protect all of the edisto river we, we'd like to see the same kind of broad-based support for uh the Edisto and for all of the rivers in South Carolina. Yeah, and in fact, if we don't protect the Edisto, we'll be hurting the Ace Basin because everything that happens up here, you know, flows right in there. So it's all connected, and it's very important to uh, be looking upstream trying to protect our rivers. Yeah, another thing that we have online on the Edisto Concerns page there uh, is a blog post that Mullen Taylor did about the history of South Carolina surface water laws up until about the 1950s, this one covers, and she's going to be doing some additional blog posts sort of following up through uh, the years to the present day. Um, Mullen is one of the people that we have met as we have been working towards finding solutions to the problems we perceive with the Surface Water Withdrawal Act. And she's extremely knowledgeable. Uh, she practices water law, amongst other things, over in Columbia. And uh, just wanted to be able to share the, the information that she's brought together there about the evolution of surface water withdrawal law over time in South Carolina. Yeah, it, it, I'm still learning an awful lot about these topics, but um, apparently they, uh, the South Carolina... General Assembly went to uh, riparian common law uh, in the, I guess, early 1800s or so. So, you know, that's kind of a standard thing. I think there's some standards that have been around for a very long time. Other states have done it differently. But uh, anyway, very interesting uh, overview of the history of, of water laws in South Carolina. Yeah, and I would point out that Mullen is one of these people who, as we have been trying to find our way through the uh, confusing aspects of surface water 
law, amongst other things, has been so generous with her time and so willing to take the time to explain stuff that really the first couple of times through doesn't seem particularly obvious. So so we really appreciate that. Um, Mullen is going to be a guest on the Edisto TV podcast at some point in the next few weeks. I know she has a uh, big thing at work that she's working on, and she's promised as soon as she gets through uh, what she has on her plate right now, she'll take some time to sit down and talk with us for the podcast. Yeah, I remember the first couple times I read through the um – the, the actual Surface Water Withdrawal Act, and I, I couldn't find the uh, exemption for ag. <laughs> and uh, she was the person who kind of explained to me how to read that thing, you know, like a lawyer, which, it's, of course, it's not explicit. It's kind of implicit, and it's kind of you got to go to a lot of different ways to find, you know, what is the reality, which is a, a uh, an ag exemption effectively for uh, all surface water withdrawal laws and permitting. All right, and uh, the final item here on the uh, stuff we've got online at Edisto Concerns, uh, we sat in on the most recent meeting uh, by teleconference of the South Carolina Drought Response Committee. Um, we have posted a link to the state newspaper story um, that reports on the result of that, which is that basically all of South Carolina has now been declared to be in a state of incipient drought. Um, I believe you can go to the DNR website also and see the actual press release, which Hope Mizell over there, the state climatologist with DNR, uh, issued after that meeting. Um, I will point out that, once again, the main thing that the Drought Response Committee meeting seems to do is cause rain. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, as soon as they declare it, like within a day. Yeah, and once again, we, we, we had the phone call, and then we had several days of rain. Um, unfortunately, the long-term forecast, even though we are in what they're calling a mild El Nino pattern, uh, doesn't look like we're going to get a lot of rain day in, day out over the next few months. And so that supports the uh, the decision that they made to make the declaration of incipient drought in more of South Carolina than just the Edisto Basin, which is where it was after the last meeting. All right, so we'll take a quick break, and then we'll come back and jump into the interview with the guys from the Edisto River Canoe and Kayak Commission, and uh, we'll do that right after this. Hey, this is Tom from the Edisto TV Podcast. If you missed Tyler Brothers' first big sale of the season, you missed a big event, but we will have another big day planned for Black Friday, and then the last big sale of the season on Friday and Saturday, December 5th and 6th. There will be 15 to 60% off of everything in the store, including snake boots, work boots, clothing from Carhartt, Columbia, Under Armour, Browning, Drake. We've got great deals on camo, on guns, ammunition, all your outdoor needs. Find us at TylerBrothers.net or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Tyler Brothers and Wagner. Personal friendly service. Come on down and visit. Tell me about the interview we're going to have here on this show. It's uh, we're talking to the guys from the Edisto River Canoe and Kayak Trail Commission. Um, absolutely, yeah. I was down at Collison State Park back in May, on May 10th, for the uh, Friends of the Edisto's Stewardship Day, which they had down there where we went out and did some river cleanup. And um, while I was there, I talked to Howard Bridgman and Charlie Sweat. Uh, they are both longtime members and uh, getting things done on behalf of the Edisto River Canoe and Kayak Trail Commission. And so uh, we've got a little bit of interview here where Howard explains exactly what IRC is and what they do. And then it transitions right into my conversation with Charlie Sweat 
where we talked a bit more about IRC, the Edisto River Canoe and Kayak Commission, and uh, then we moved on into the broader topic of what's up with surface water withdrawal, what makes the Edisto River such a special place, and just generally a little bit of conversation about this and that to do with issues near and dear to us here on the Edisto TV podcast. Yeah, I, I really liked uh, this interview. I think um looking forward to sharing it with everyone out here. All right, and I will mention that uh, the second interview in this podcast is going to be with Alan Merzad. Alan, former Congaree Riverkeeper and uh, current board member for Friends of the Edisto, lives on the South Fork of the Edisto down near Denmark, South Carolina. And uh, a couple of months ago, I went over and spent an evening in a John boat on the South Fork with uh, Alan Merzad. So we, we've got some of that conversation for you all as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the theme here, I think, uh, as I listen to these guys, is is the... Uh, just how special the Edisto is and how, um, you know, just once you get to it, <laughs> it's it's kind of a magical, special place. I mean, uh, Alan, Alan talks about how, you know, his first, first Blackwater River he'd really seen. And, and uh, once you kind of get a taste for that, it's, it's kind of unique and different, and um, it is very special. Okay, Tom, uh, I'm just going to jump into this interview now with Howard Bridgman and then Charlie Sweat. Uh, again, this was recorded back in May, so things were still fairly fresh from the uh, excitement with the potato farm on the South Fork, and some of the comments that are made here reflect that that was ongoing pretty much at the time that we recorded this. Anything you want to drop in before we go to the interview? No, let's listen. All right, here we go. We maintain a uh, canoe trail from Highway 21, which is Whetstone's Crossroads, down to Jacksonboro, all of which is in Colleton County. Edisto River Canoe and Pack Trail Commission is a commission of uh, Colleton County, and uh, Charlie Sweat is the head of the group. And we were initially funded by the county, and we're pretty much self-supporting now. We're at uh, the River Commission property, which is adjacent to Colleton State Park on the Edisto River. We've been working real hard and real diligently about trying to not only clean up the river, but make the river very safe and habitable for people to enjoy. And it really is. It's one of the very pristine rivers in the United States. We do the Southeast Wildlife Expo, and we have for over 20 years. And the last couple of years, we shared a booth with Fred. So we're in the process of trying to educate the public. When they come to the Southeast Wildlife Expo, it's, we, we see people from all over the world. They come and enjoy talking with us. They learn about what we've done to help make this and keep this a pristine river. We talk to them about stewardship. We talk to them about programs. We talk to them about the fact that we do work through groups of people. If you look at the regulation, which is promulgated by DHEC based on the legislation which is passed by the House and the Senate and signed by the governor, the way things stand now, the calculation that's done is based on the mean annual average to derive a safe flow. So there is no call in the regulation for any kind of assessment of environmental health or viability of the river. It's a straight how much water on average is in the river, and 80% of that can safely be taken out. Do you have any reflections on that particular formulation? I think that's totally absurd. 
they need to always understand that whatever is in that river and for that river to perpetuate itself we need to maintain at least 50% of what's in there. I can see and I have seen weeks where the river out here, right here in front of Colleton State Park, you could walk across that river. I have also seen times when the water rises halfway up the bank and onto the other side of the, of the landing over there where Scott Kennedy's place is, Carolina Heritage over there. Do, do you think that there is anything to say about their essential stance is that until there's a problem, there's no reason to change the law, and that thus far the withdrawals aren't causing a problem? Well, that's the same old thing the fellow says, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Well, it's broke. So now we need to fix it before it gets to be a disaster. So, um, again, it gets back to the point that, hey, you know, Let's don't start complaining until something goes wrong. Well, something's going wrong, so it's past time to complain now. We need to, the big problem is we need to change the laws so that a disaster can't happen. It's not so much that we want to toughen up things so bad. It's just that we don't want to be stuck with something that eventually causes us to be in a disaster mode especially not in this state. We need to be a, a think-ahead state. So both sides have to have a mutual understanding on what the problem is. And then, through a mutual understanding, you have to talk about how do we solve this problem. Because, yeah, the water's going to end up in the ocean anyhow, which is going to be evaporated back up. It's going to come back down as rain and come back down as a river again. But it's that vicious cycle, and you have to figure out how you want that cycle to work for you instead of against you. A lot of the reason that this has happened and is happening is because the state government is being consciously open for business, is, is their phrase, and, and encouraging industry and agriculture to come in and make use of our resources in order to enrich us all. Um, how... Can people basically who, saying is you they're they're in there trying to promote the use the of our resources yeah and the use of our resources to build that economy yeah how, how when that is state policy do we gain traction for the idea that the resource itself has value outside of what it can be used for what you have to do then is you have to bring the politicians down educate the politicians that if I use up a resource then I no longer have a resource to promote our state and bring people into our state for. I have to turn around and use our resources sparingly so that I don't deplete our resources to the point that we don't have them anymore. You know the state of South Carolina is very fortunate with the number of waterways that we have in our state. And this being one of the longest and most vulnerable to outside influence, why are we not taking more action on protecting something like this? So 
I do want to mention that Howard, whose comments opened up the uh, the interview there, is involved in the Edisto River Canoe and Kayak Trail Commission. He's also part of an effort to establish the Ashley River Blue Trail. And uh, we are linking in the show notes a blog post that he put up for American Rivers about that Ashley River effort. And uh, certainly, since we love not just the Edisto, but all of South Carolina's rivers, we want to voice support for that Blue Trail project. Uh, I had a chance to go down and attend their oyster roast a couple of weekends ago. And uh, Garrett Yobsis and uh, Howard Bridgman and a number of other people were there. Had a great time, and uh, there should be actually a little video clip up on American Rivers sometime soon uh, of what happened at that oyster roast. So, having uh, laid that interview down, we're going to go ahead and jump right into the next one. This is me talking with Alan Merzad, and this was on a beautiful evening. Uh, I think it was back in September, mid-September, that we sat down together, um, and we we basically just jumped in his John boat behind his house and motored downstream a little bit and uh, found a quiet little spot and uh, commenced to talking. Yeah, definitely some uh, good wildlife uh, sounds in this one, so definitely listen carefully. I think I know for sure there's a squirrel, there's a pileated woodpecker, and uh, something else. We talked about owls. We didn't actually <laughs> oh, yeah, see an owl. That's right. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so, so we'll jump into that interview, and then we'll come back and wrap this thing up. Well, I, I think the Edisto is a really special river, and I, I really do love rivers. You know, I always enjoyed fishing in the rivers and trout fishing and loving little streams. And my wife is from Bamberg, and when I met her and we were seeing each other, she took me to the, the river, you know. I said, I want to see the river. You got you know, pass over it. And I'd never seen a blackwater river like this. I'd been in the sw- you know, swamp before, but I've never seen a flowing blackwater river. And just the swamp land and everything around it kind of made me think, man, this is really something cool. And uh, so every time I came to Bamberg, I'd want to go out and see it, and at least stop by the boat landing or something. And then um, I, I really think... I really think that this is a, a unique river in that it's it's a swampy river. There's a lot of access to it. Um, it's it's pretty much in its you know it's it's an undisturbed environment. You know. Well, my name is Alan Marizad, and we are on the South Edisto River near uh, Highway 70. And we're in your backyard, right? That's right. Talk about the importance of maintaining what we have in the Edisto and what, you know, you think the threats to it are and, you know, what the outlook for the future of the Edisto might be. You know, there's a balance in in anything, and and I really think that before we jump into any really drastic permanent you know decisions that we ought to at least for decency take a look at whether or not it, it makes actual sense uh, let's take into account other people's uh, point of views into whether or not there could be any impacts I think that it, I think that the river, is is in great shape 
and can remain in this type of state, but it's going to take it's going to take being able to listen to other people's opinions, whether or not hey this is this is going to work or not. Squirrel. It's something. It's something. It's a squirrel. Up. Yeah, he just he came up the tree right here and then jumped over and went up. I don't see any big big branches up there about to drop. So nah. I guess that's good. I'll warn you if it's coming. Yeah, um, that, that's that's a tough one, you know. I, it's that's a tough one. That's yeah, but because I mean, I'd love to see it come out one way, but I, you know, I don't know how that's. Going. You know, if if we want respect for the uses that we hold as the the best uses for the river, you know, we have to respect the opinions of other stakeholders who are equally entitled to the public resource which which the river is you know you and I were talking before about you know there there is a definite voice in the world that says that if the river water runs into the ocean you know without getting used for something we've wasted an opportunity to to get value from it and and I, I mean on the face of it as as a mathematical calculation I understand what they're saying I mean if if it's about getting value from extracting something from the world, then yeah, I mean, I guess that the water that goes out there and nourishes baby oysters is in some sense wasted because it hasn't turned a crank or grown a tater or, or whatnot. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think that there's real value in, in what the water does just being the river. I think that water has a lot of uses. Um, and I really think that all sides would be, should be able to um, make sure that there's enough water for, for their own separate uses. One thing about water that we can't, we can't deny it is that we need it to survive. And we need it to be safe and drink, uh, clean and drinkable, you know, where, where it won't make you sick. We all need water, and it's taken for granted. It really is, if you think about it. I mean, you turn on your faucet, and water comes out. Yeah. You don't think about it. You just fill up your cup, and that's it. Um, you know, I'm not, so, I'm not so much worried personally. I'm not so much worried about, you know, one, one farm, you know, one one user here and there it it does concern me but on a that's not that's not what, what really bothers me what, what really bothers me is that um, the way things are right now there's no consideration about changes in the river level from year to year which can be incredibly drastic I mean even even in uh, Last, last summer, 2013, the river was flooded. It was really high. The highest it had been in July and I believe August since they've been keeping record. But the year before that, in 2012, you could walk across it and it was hardly even there. And it can change that drastically from year to year. And the way things are right now, those type of, those type of changes aren't taken into account. I don't see how removing 80% of the average water can even be thought of as a safe, a safe, uh, um, you know, a safe amount.
to keep a river operating as a river. You know, this, there's water in the river, but there's a whole system happening here that we don't, even with what we know, you know, we know that the, the water's dark and it's carrying nutrients and it's flushing, flushing out the nutrients out to the, the ocean. And constantly there's little grains of sand and pebbles and whatnot just working their way down. Um, but we don't, we don't understand, we don't understand even the surface of how these type of systems work. And when, when you take away something as important to a river as water, then how can you not, how can you not even think that that's going to make a profound impact on what's been happening here for thousands and, and millions of years? You hear the pileated behind us? He's, he's knocking. Yeah. I heard him He's chattering before, earlier. yeah. You'll see them. You'll see some. Uh, I hear a lot of. I hear a lot of barred owls out here too. We call. Uh -huh. We'll call out to the owls and they'll call back. The times I've seen you. them. Uh, you know, one time I had one land right above us, and another one landed in a tree not too far away. And it was, it was at dark. You know, we were fishing, and um, he was just staring right down at us. You can t you could tell because he kept calling, and you can tell what he when he was facing you. And when he was looking off to the side, because when he was facing you, I'm telling, I'm telling you, when he called, it was right in your ear, yeah. like he was sitting on your shoulder. It was, it was amazing. So, li living here by the river, like me, you, you weren't born and raised here. How long were you here before you began to feel like part of it was yours? It took me about 20 minutes. <laughs> I was going to say not long either. Um, <clears throat> I've always, I've always enjoyed outdoors, you know, so I've, I've, I've always felt, and, 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 you know, years ago I realized responsibility, you know, we're also responsible. Um, but I, I think what really did it for me, truthfully, was, um, when we first started living here, we had to get a, our septic lines replaced. I mean, they're all clogged up with roots. We had to have some yard work done. And the folks who came out to do it, oh, man, they did a hack job. They just dug a huge hole, you know, in the earth and just pushed it all back. I was, I was hoping it would have been a little bit more delicate. But I, you know, they did, they did their job. But, uh... I was worried about it all washing off, you know, because we're on this hill, we're on this bluff. And we had some hard rain afterwards, and sure enough, you know, none of it washed in the river like I was seeing it happen, but we would get these gullies. And in those gullies, I would find little bits of pottery and stuff. And I was thinking, wow, you know, and I'd, I'd start finding, you know, finding big pieces of little tools and arrowheads and these things, and I was thinking, man, that's, you know, that's crazy. And, uh, you know, these were worth something to somebody. And, uh, you know, the pots were probably holding grain and, you know, stuff that people ate. Uh, and I just thought about it, you know, I was about to have a, a daughter. And uh, so we had to get the house ready for her. And uh, I just got to thinking, man, you know, people have been living here for a super long time. And they've been going through the same type of, same type of thing, you know, raising your kid and 
having a family and doing all that and living for a long time. And now it's my turn, you know. Now I'm like, now I'm here. But I, I wonder if uh, I wonder if the other people that were here thought thought about it that way. But um, I mean, I feel a responsibility, no doubt. This part of South Carolina, especially, is big and, and has has for a long time been involved with agriculture, and that's important. And and uh, I just have so much respect for for the guys, you know, the farmers, and it's it's like a romantic thing, you know, like these guys are out there, you know plowing the fields at dark, you know, and it's when they got to, and I, I respect that fully. That's a hard living. Um, you know, and even even the, the bigger farms, you know, like the ones that are more organized, um, more, uh, you know, commercial, and, you know, like this big potato farm. They, they really did come to the table, and they, they met with the conservation community who was who was concerned that this this whole thing could get out of control, and um, you know they they were they were generous in at least offering to negotiate. Um, but the problem is, I think that there ought to be, in the least, some protection during times of low flood. I think that. We have to be realistic in, in saying that uh, it's different from year to year, whether it's a wet or dry year. And that's, any farmer would tell you that, okay? Any farmer would tell you that. Some years are, some years are boom and some are bust. Okay, that's the whole point of, you know, insurance and whatnot. Um, I think in times like this, you know, here it is, we're, we're at a pretty full level. You know, about bank full, and it's sort of spilling out. I thought I think that people ought to be able to, um, within reason, be able to water their crops and, and and make sure that they don't lose out. But during times when it's dry, you know, and it's not not even from year to year, but if you get three or four dry years in a row like in the early 2000s, you can't really draw that much water out this river at that time. And you have to take that into account. If, uh, if we could at least, in the very least, look at this realistically and say, what happens when there's no water in the river? Because it's gone now. Maybe our, maybe our idea about how much water was here to begin with, hey, I guess we weren't right, you know? That's, th those are big stakes to say, well, I was wrong, you know? My equation was messed up. I think we ought, it would at least be prudent of us to consider that possibility. So there we go, a conversation with Alan Merzad. I think it gives a fairly good flavor of what it's like to be on the river with a friend. Um, and I think that brings us to basically wrapping up this episode of the podcast, doesn't it, Tom? Anything to say about Alan's interview before we move on? Yeah, just uh, I, I appreciate uh, what Alan's doing for the river. The fact that uh, I like his story all the way through and through, you know, how he first time he saw the river, um, how he kind of became attracted to it and, uh, you know, decided to basically plant himself uh, on the river. And, um, you know, he said several times just how it's delicate, um, 
place and and he wants to see that it's uh, properly cared for feels a lot of responsibility about protecting it and um hopefully uh, more and more folks will feel that same sense of responsibility yeah and i should point out i think i mentioned it in the opening um alan was actually the original congaree river river keeper over in Colombia before he moved down to Denmark. Uh, he, he basically created that uh, position for himself while he was in college over in Colombia. That's right. So he, he, he knows a lot about what's up with river conservation and, you know, how to do outreach on behalf of the river. And he, he's an extremely valuable member of the, uh, the team over at Friends of the Edisto serving on the board there. All right. Um, so that brings us to the end, I think, pretty much of episode 23 of the podcast. As I say, this one's going to get distributed starting on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, it makes it a good time to reflect on all the great folks that the Edisto and the surface water regulation conversation um, have brought us into contact with in the past year. Uh, I know that, you know, it was just this time last year that you and I and Doug Busby first um, became acquainted, and uh, I think that probably that was that was fated to happen yeah yeah quite an interesting year hard to believe we didn't even never heard of you never seen you uh and you live right around the corner pretty much so that's that's pretty cool it's been a good year and uh, it's going to be a very challenging year ahead as uh, we get ready for legislative session and trying to uh change some minds up there at the capitol yeah a lot like shrek i was hiding in my swamp but they've <laughs> they've gotten me stirred up i had to come out to uh to address this surface water issue. That's right. So I appreciate uh, having the help of all the fine folks that we've met, and especially you and Doug, as we uh, as we go forward on this. And finally, it being Thanksgiving, it's a great moment to reflect on the many blessings we all have and to give thanks, and we do that. I am thankful. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Tom. It's been another episode, episode 23 of the Edisto TV podcast. We hope everyone enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time. This is the Edisto TV podcast, produced by Edisto TV, connecting the Blackwater region.